that rocked my world because it's like this guy that I've been affectionately calling my dad that I know to be my dad is not really my dad. How has that worked? Welcome to the first episode of the Unique Conversations with Chris podcast. And as promised, I will start this series off with a intimate and deep conversation about my own life, starting with the very start. I was born on the 4th of July in the early 80s. And the couple of unique things about that is, first of all, I'm born on a national holiday. And secondly, it wasn't planned. I was actually born early. And my mom said that she was on the way to a barbecue and all of a sudden she goes into labor. I jokingly say that I was excited to see fireworks and I wanted to see what the fuss was about. But from what I understand is that because of my premature birth, I had to spend a couple of months in the NICU fighting for my life. And so that kind of set the precedent to show that I'm a person that I will fight for my life. (laughs) And so I was born, my mom was a teen parent. I joke and say that I actually went to my mom's graduation because she was, I think, a high school junior when I was conceived. And then by the time that I was born, she was a senior, then graduated. My mom got married. And then eventually, about four, I started to have sisters. And so my middle sister was born about, I was probably around four when she was born. And then later that year, so my middle sister was born in March. And then later that year, December, my youngest sister was born prematurely. Within the span of a year, I had two sisters. I just remember about that time that I was extremely proud to have a sister, especially when my middle sister was born. I felt like it was an innate responsibility for me to take care of her and be a big sister and teach her things. And so I was extremely proud to have not only one, but two sisters. My parents were teen parents. I just remember there was a lot of conflict in their marriage, in their relationship. And there is one distinct memory that I have about the age of four. And I don't know if my sister was born or not, but I remember sitting in my room. And at this time, my parents lived in the house, they shared a house with my dad's grandmother. I was standing in my room playing with my pretend kitchen and I was distracted by hearing voices outside and they said they're my parents' voices. So of course, being curious and being, you know, a four-year-old, I went to the window and I don't know if I have to step on something, but I was able to go to the window and view what was going on. And because I'm a pretty sensitive person, and of course I was a sensitive child, I did not like the view of my parents arguing. And so I started to cry very silently looking out of the window. Well, I'm not sure if my great-grandmother heard me or heard the arguing or just came to check on me, but she saw that I was crying and looking out of the window. And I'm pretty sure she asked me what was wrong and I either motioned or somehow let her know that, you know, because of the pay my parents arguing and that I was upset. She let me know that I shouldn't be concerned about what they're doing and I needed to stop all that crying. So that story sticks in my brain because I think because 
the person that I am and my personality being the one of those that has a tendency to be a people pleaser or wanting to do things just right. And I don't know if it's because I'm the oldest, but I figured out then that the best way for me to handle my emotions is to not show them and not cry. And somehow in my little brain, I mentioned that I'm not going to cry anymore or allow people to see me cry, which was so not the best <laughs> for me to adapt that mentality and me having children now and reflecting on that story, I would not want them to feel that way. And no way do I blame a great mother, great grandmother for doing, for saying that thing, because that's just likely something generational that we've, we've learned that, you know, or we tell kids don't cry. It's not that, you know, whatever, the, whatever her reasonings were, I can't blame her, but it's just, for me, I took that criticism, that perceived criticism as, okay, this is something I have to fix. And so as I got older, I still had that desire to, to take care and take care of my sisters. One of the things that I remember, one of the last memories that I have a vivid memory of is my mom had this orange plush couch thing. And I felt like it was probably like small enough. It was probably an oversized either armchair or love seat but this is back in the 80s so it's kind of got that little of lore texture on it but I remember sitting and this is around Christmas time and I was sitting in the middle and then I had one sister on one side and the other sister on that side and I had my arms around them and I was so so excited because I just love my sisters and so shortly after that my parents split I'm not sure the circumstances of that but from what I understand is that we now had mom's house and then dad's house. And I remember even then, because my middle sister was such an active toddler, that I had to, I felt like as a big sister, I needed to keep her out of trouble because she was one of those kids that you put her in her little walker and she would pull down plants or get into this and get into that. And so just because of me being the big sister that I am, I, I felt it was my responsibility to kind of keep an eye on help my mom keep an eye on her. So, I mean, at that time, my mom was probably no more than like probably 21, 22, and she had three young kids. So she had her hands full with, with the three of us. Something else that I remember that left a very distinct memory in my brain is I think shortly before my parents split, we were still living in our two-story condo, and there was a day where... I had just gotten my Barbie Corvette, I think it was red, and it was one of those power wheels, and I was super excited about it, and I don't remember the details of that day, I just remember me being downstairs within our little enclosed patio, which, you know, was not very big, but it was enough for me to ride up and then ride back, you know, in my Corvette, and I remember that it was a warm day and so my mom had the window lifted from the second floor and because it was just me downstairs, my sister, the who, my middle sister who was tall enough to, to stand and walk, was peering down from the second floor looking at me and then her and my dad were upstairs having a conversation of, of something. So presumably my sister was upstairs with my parents because she needed to be monitored a lot more closely than I did on the patio enclosed. So I remember 
looking up and seeing her and having a little pang of guilt because I'm like, man, I would like her to be here. And I know that she wants to come down and play with me. And I'd rather her play with me than be by herself upstairs. Well, not necessarily by herself, but not playing with me. And so we're hopping out of the car and then walking towards the towards the glass door to come back inside the home. And just as I was doing that, my dad was approaching the bottom of this approaching the bottom of the stairs, walking towards that, presumably to come get me. And just as I turn and I put my hand on the door to open it, I hear and without missing a beat, without second guessing, without turning around, I said, Oh, she fell out of the window. And my dad panicked because I assume that he saw her on the ground as he opened the door and the fact that I said, oh, she fell out of the window. And that was just traumatic for everybody involved. Luckily, my sister was okay. She ended up breaking her arm. And then I believe, I think it was her arm. I almost want to say it was her arm. And then having a head injury because she fell flat on her face. And so that's something that another memory that I'll never forget in which made me even more hypervigilant and want to keep a closer eye on my sister because, like I said, I was such a proud big sister that I didn't want anything to happen to either one of them. So I'll go back to this. That accident happened prior to my parents' separation. Now fast forward back to, you know, it's me, my sister, and my two sisters living with my mom. And I had to be about six or seven about this time. And I remember shortly after that, you know, fun Christmas pick where I had both of them and I was so excited that there was a time where one morning I just woke up and I just felt in my spirit that something was different and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And of course, at that age, you don't have a real awareness of what, who, you know, time, but you just kind of have a general idea. So the next thing I remember is my dad, like I said, they were separated, divorced, or going through the divorce at the time, rushed to my mom's apartment, grabbed my middle sister and I, and ran out, and him be just hysterical and crying and not necessarily, not, me not understanding what's going on, my mom's not saying a whole lot, and him throwing us in the backseat of his car, and this is the mid this is the mid 80s so you know car seats weren't a big deal back then so i remember standing in the middle of the seat of his big long box car and looking at the back and turning around and hearing him cry and plead and somehow in the middle of the hysterics i f- i figured out or i was told that my youngest sister had passed away and that's why he was so upset and i just cried and I remember he took us to his sister's house, who's my aunt, of course. And I remember sitting in the couch with my cousin, who's about a year younger than me, I'm a, a guy. And we're sitting here trying to make sense of this whole thing. And him con- trying to comfort and console me. Meanwhile, my dad is back there just falling apart along with his sister, who was trying to console him. And so... I don't remember much about the funeral from what I understand and I don't have too many details surrounding it and I don't know if it's because it was back in the 80s or what happened but because my younger sister was also premature like myself I feel like she was predisposed to certain things I'm not sure but 
the cause of her death was, was called SIDS, which is sudden in a, sudden infant death syndrome, and that's from what I understand. And so that, to me, at the age of about six, was very significant as far as me having to face grief. That's something that I'll never forget. And even now into my 40s, I still have my moments where, you know, I get sad thinking about it just because that's just one of those things about grief. It's not something that you ever just really get over. You just kind of learn to ride the ride with it and just accept it for when it comes and, and how it how it works. So shortly after that happened, I also remember about this age, which, you know, about the six, seven, eight time frame. I was introduced to a another grandparent and in my mind I didn't quite understand how the dynamics worked but I understood that I had a new grandmother and she was a very heavy chain smoker and I absolutely hated it and even as I'm talking about it my brain is automatically reminded of the stench and the smell and the taste and the the whole overall disdain for cigarettes. But of course, this is the 80s. And so it was not uncommon for people to smoke everywhere and smoke in the car with the windows up. And it was it was one of those terrible experiences that I would not want to live through again. But I remember this particular day, we had just left the, the grocery or the probably the convenience store. And we were she was having her cigarette and I was happily chewing on my candy cigarette pack that I got, which is ironic because I actually hate cigarettes, but I was happily chatting in the car. And if you know me, if I'm happy and chatty, that usually means I feel comfortable and safe around you because otherwise I'm usually a quiet, introverted, shy person. So the fact that I was bubbly and happy and just kind of chatting away while chewing on my candy cigarette should indicate that I felt pretty comfortable around her. And so as we're riding along and we're getting ready to turn on to the street that she lived on, I matter of factly said to her, oh, you know, because in my mind, I'm trying to rationalize the, the, the dynamics and figure out who of the family is who, right? And so she, you know, I was talking to her and I was like, you know, Paul, and that's the guy that I referred to my dad who have who I referred to as my dad this entire video. I was like, Paul is my real dad. And Gary, who is her son, is my pretend dad or, you know, fake dad. And I'll never forget the cold glare, chilling look that she gave me. And with such disdain in her voice, she's like, don't you ever say that again. That is not your real dad. Gary is your dad and don't you ever let him hear you say that and so I just remember sinking back in the seat of the car and kind of looking down and kind of trying to internalize that because if you've got to remember I've known Paul to be my my dad my entire life and if anybody knows me knows that I was and still am you know a daddy's girl and so that rocked my world because it's like this guy that I've been affectionately calling my dad that I know to be my dad is not really my dad. How does that work? And so I realizing now that the manner in which I was revealed to me was not the healthiest 
But that's just one of those things that kind of shaped my whole mentality around that time. And so kind of reflecting as I was preparing this series, it's like, wow, I sure did. Hey, are you interested in keeping the conversation going? Do you have any questions for me? If so, starting on May 13th on Saturday at 10, I will have a live session where you can ask all the questions that you have for me, as well as keep the conversation going. If you're here on YouTube, check the description box. And if you're listening in, check the show notes and it'll have the link to join the live. Look forward to talking to you soon. To endure a lot, you know, before the age of 10. So that's something else I kind of want to add to the to the razzle dazzle that is my life so far. And so I found that out. And then shortly after that, like I mentioned, my dad, my mom and dad had divorced, which I still refer to the my mom's husband, my sister's dad, whoever you want to call Paul is my dad. So when I reference my dad in this series, that's who I'm speaking of. But when he and my mom split, we would visit him still. Just like I said, he treated me just like I was his biological child. So there was a time because of my sister's fall when she was younger, she sustained injuries that would cause her to have seizures randomly, sporadically, without warning. And me being the hypervigilant sister that I am, I was always on pins and needles trying to particularly watch her. Well, this one particular time, we were visiting my dad, and we had just come back from like a long day out like at the park or something, and we're in Texas, so it's pretty hot. And so one of the things that I noticed when we got back from the park was that my sister was seen extremely fatigued, which, you know, it's not too alarming because we had just spent all day at the park and it was hot, but, you know, I still chose to pay attention to her. So as we come back to his apartment, my dad goes into his room to kind of relax and, and probably cool off. I go and grab a coloring book and I start to color on the floor and my sister's to my right, you know, and she decides to lay down on the couch because she's hot and she's tired. I noticed as she was laying on the couch, her breathing seemed more labored. But then again, I'm the kid that is very hypervigilant to make sure that she's okay. Well, within minutes of me noticing that, she starts to have this full-on seizure. And my dad said that I screamed bloody murder to the point he stood up straight off his bed and ran in there. And so within minutes, I am surrounded by EMTs and and paramedics that are trying to get information about my mom and my sister and where we live, while my dad is kind of holding my sister in a way so that she doesn't injure herself. Because I don't know if you've ever experienced someone having a seizure, but it's, it's like their body's involuntarily moving and the, the functions that you would typically have, like to, if you're biting down, you wouldn't bite down as hard if you're not seizing, but when your body's involuntarily moving, she could have bit through her tongue or injured, you know, another part of her body or her head or, you know, what, whatever the case may be. And so all I can remember is sitting there and having a blank mind. I couldn't remember. I barely can remember my name, my sister's name. It was just one of those weird things that has happened to me. But I just remember looking up and crying out. And it's like, please, God, not my last sister. Please, not my last sister. 
And that to me was a pivotal moment because it shaped the way that I think and how I approach life. And that that's another memory that I'll never forget. So I feel like I've covered the good portion of the first part of my life and I think I'm going to end it here. However, this next episode, I'll continue with the story with my sister and then I will introduce you to the story about how I found out that my biological father is in fact a convicted serial rapist. So it was a pleasure. I look forward to continuing this series. Feel free to send me any questions that you may have. And I hope you enjoyed it so far. Yes.